You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. We need to make Jesus known because the world has a problem. It's not a very complicated problem. The problem is the world is lost. Sin has taken its toll. And ever since the rebellion in the garden, mankind has been drowning, barely recognizing its need for a life preserver. But one came anyway, and that life preserver is Jesus Christ. But the question is, will you save yourself? Because that life preserver is there for you. And God wants to rescue you from drowning. He wants you to, to pull you out of that, that icy sea, the consequences of sin that rip it, your soul. Because if you sink, you sink to an eternity without God, unable to commune with God. And so this is a high-stakes game. And cr- Christmas is great. You know, love all the lights and all the warm feelings and all the money we spend. But really what Christmas is about is the cross. And you really have to go right from the manger to the cross to understand what this is all about. Because the world needs a rescuer. That rescuer is Jesus. But it couldn't have been anyone else. It had to be Jesus. And so let's take a look at the text today and see if we can dig more out and find some truth for ourselves. So if you have a Bible or a phone or a tablet, turn with me to John 3, verses 16 and 17. John 3, verses 16 and 17. And if you, don't, if you didn't bring a, a, a tool with you, you can always follow along on the screen as well. We often memorize John three sixteen from the moment that we're in Sunday school. But today I want to spend more time on verse 17 because... We're going to talk about a rescuer, and this, these two verses happen within that context of that conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the one that took Jesus aside and said, I want to know about what it means to be born again. I want to know how to be saved. And so this is a part of that conversation. So we begin in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So as we examine our need for a rescuer, here's the first point that I want to make this morning, and that is the rescuer came as a consequence of God's love. This whole thing happened because of a loving God that put it all in motion. The theme of this section is the mission of of Christ. And the mission of Jesus was, of course, the plan of redemption before ages past was a father's idea, and he sent his son, and Jesus, submissive to the father, came in order to rescue each one of us, in order to save the world. And if we miss that, then we miss the point of Christmas. Because he wants to lift everyone out of those icy waves. And he wants to take everybody into his arms to be safe and warm. If we look at 3.16 for just a moment, we can see the intensity of that love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The words his and only son reflect how very, very personal that this love is. And how focused 
it is. The Greek translated one and only refers to the Son and it means only begotten or only born one. So the Father gave His very best. He held nothing back. There's nothing more precious to the Father than His Son, Jesus Christ. Yet He is the one He sent on this mission of salvation. And we need to be saved. If you look at the word perish here in verse 16, that doesn't mean that we're just annihilated when we die or we cease to exist. What it means is, is that we perish into a life, an eternity in hell, away from God, unable to commune with Him. And that's why it's so important that we take this seriously. That's why John is so intentional about making the road to salvation clear in his gospel. Because he knows that there is only one way to grab onto that rope and to be pulled up into the boat and to be saved. It's a consequence of the immense and unfathomable love of God. Which leads us now to verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order to save the world, that the world might be saved through Him. And here we see a clarification of the Lord's mission. The mission of the rescuer is not to condemn, but to save the world. And so we'll parse that out a little bit so we understand this better. John is the author, of course, of this book. He's one of the disciples that was closest to Jesus. And he was enamored with the power of the Son of God. And each of the gospel writers had their own nuance and and their own goal for writing the book. For example, Matthew presents Jesus as Messiah, the, the answer to Old Testament prophecy. For Mark, Jesus is the suffering servant, the one who came and gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. For Luke, Jesus is the Savior of all people, of all tribes, of all nations. And for John, he's the eternal Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's a representative of the Father. And we can see this all through the writing of John. Just a a few examples of how John sees this. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus is that reflection. In John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus isn't like anyone else. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, Who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus made the Father known. And so we see this incredible writing. And then in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Which is really the phrase that got Jesus in trouble. Because that's a claim to divinity. I and the Father are one. And that verse specifically in John's writing separates Jesus from John the Baptist. Because there was a tremendous amount of confusion about who John the Baptist was. Many thought he was Elijah. Some thought he was Messiah. And what John is saying is, no, no. Jesus is God. He is the long-awaited one. Jesus is the Savior. And he tries to punch that idea home throughout his entire gospel. I and the Father are 
one. He has the power to save. He has the unique power to rescue. No one else does. And so the life preserver has been tossed your way. The question is, are you going to latch on to it? Are you going to save yourself? Maybe you're already a believer. Maybe you're losing hope. And, and Jesus has come to give you hope as well. He, he has come to both save eternally and temporally. The Bible says that he came to give abundant life. And if we look at John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this isn't just a one-time justification transaction, though. That's a wonderful thing, that when we put our faith in Christ, we are immediately saved. But there's more to it than that. The gospel is for now. It's for each day. Jesus has a plan for you. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. And so what's keeping you from experiencing abundant life? Is it shame? Maybe it's the, the lack of forgiveness or an addiction or sin that you carry around that you haven't repented of, selfishness or, or grief that is so overwhelming you can hardly see straight or past hurts. Or maybe in this COVID time, it's simple fear that's keeping you from having abundant life. Jesus came to save you from those things. He came to give you a different perspective. He came to give you freedom. So even as we look at this world of COVID-19 and every headline is sensationalized and frightening and, well, guess what? We can just turn our eyes to Christ. And that's why he came. And for the believer, it's so wonderful to have something beyond what we can see to put our hope in. And so that's part of why Jesus came to be with us. He came to save you from all of these earthly ills in order for you to have abundant life. He came to save the world. But he also came, the Bible says, here in 17, not to condemn the world. So what does that mean? I've always read 17... And it's always, I've always stopped just for a moment and, and said, well, of course the world should be condemned. The world's full of sin. And it's true that those who refuse to repent of sin, those who refuse to turn to Christ, uh, will be judged. That's the consequence of unbelief. But that wasn't, however, the re reason Jesus came. He came to save the world. He came to rescue the world from sin. And that's what makes his mission different than I am going to come and I am going to condemn you. No, the world has already been condemned because of sin. We are all under condemnation. Jesus came to save us from that condemnation. He came to literally rescue us from sin. And so that's his mission and he came to rescue all of those that would simply trust him for salvation. In this passage in Matthew, we see the birth, but we also see his mission identified. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her 
quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's the mission of Jesus Christ, to save the people from their sins. And so, because the world is lost in sin, because we have crashed in the fall, there's no need for further condemnation. Jesus came to save us from that condemnation. God does not take joy in judging the wicked. God desires that all be saved. We see this uh, put very plainly by Peter in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God, God sent Jesus on this incredible mission because the world desperately needed him to come, because there's no hope without him. And it's because of God's love that we can even have this conversation. And the hope that Jesus brought is both an eternal hope and a temporal hope, because this is the kind of love that's directed at us. And if you look at the last few words of 17, we learn that it's, the, the world is in such a desperate plight that it only could be rescued by Jesus and no one else. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. And so it was the only way. And so here's you know, what we have to come to. And the conclusion is the mission of saving the world was accomplished by Jesus alone. With no help, nobody else could do this. It had to be done by a powerful king, and that's what Jesus is. From the very moment he was born, he was worshipped as a king. When the shepherds proclaimed his birth, when people flocked to see him, people knew he was a king. We all have, when you've done your Christmas play, when you were a kid, you always have the three wise men. At least in the church I grew up in, the three wise men were always the ones that, well, we've got to find a place for you, so we're making one of the wise men. We'll stick a crown on you, walk down, you're all set to go. That was usually the part I had. But here's the thing. They probably came a couple of years after Jesus was born. They were from the east. They were wise men. They were magi. They could have been astro astrologers, magicians. We're not exactly quite sure. But one thing that is for sure is that they came bearing gifts specifically for a king. They brought gold, a precious metal. They brought frankincense, which is this lovely perfume. They brought myrrh, which is anointing oil. All of these in that time would have been gifts for a king. They knew that. Jesus is a king, and we see this in Scripture as well, that, that Jesus is a king in Matthew 2.11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
You don't do that. I mean, you're talking about a two-year-old. And they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the Savior that came. This is what Jesus is all about. And it's, it's pretty amazing that the people involved in this narrative all understood the kingship of Christ, except, of course, those who were his enemies. But the mission of saving the world was accomplished by a king. And this is really important to understand because he had to be a king. He had to be fully God in order to be the rescuer. Because again, we have to draw a line from the manger to the cross. The person who came to do this needed to be fully God because he had to be the spotless sacrificial lamb, sinless. To fulfill the Old Testament sacrifice, all that gory slaughter and the the priests only going into the Holy of Holies, all of that was for a reason. It was pointing to the cross. And the only way you can be sinless is to be God. And then he had to be 100% man because he needed to be our representative on the cross. You know, to be very frank, we've had two representatives. Our first representative, Adam, was a terrible representative. I mean, he, he took us to into the fall. He, he crashed us into sin. And, and um, don't tell Adam I said that. I have to see him in heaven. But he was a terrible representative. Thankfully, the Bible says in Paul's writing that a second representative came, the second Adam, and his name is Jesus Christ. So in order to be this second representative that would go to the cross and die in our place, he needed to be fully human as well. So you have 100% God, 100% man. You had this incredible, unique mix of the God-man. And I think one of the most amazing pictures of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that when we see him in heaven, he will be still in his human body. He ascended in his human body. There's no reason to think that he will have his human body for all of eternity And so, this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the one who came to make this happen. The author of Hebrews helps us understand more. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That that word simply means appeasing the wrath of God for the sins of the people. And he did that on the cross. This was the Lord's mission to do. Nobody else could have done this mission. And and I loved what what Wendy read earlier about, well, who do you pray to? Well, whoever's listening. There's no one else. I mean, no one else could have done this. There have been pretenders from the very beginning of time. There are pretenders today. The, The prophet of Islam, Muhammad, could not have done this. Joseph Smith, who founded Mormonism, could not have done this. The Dalai Lama couldn't do this. Buddha couldn't do this. And our idols, our idols of self-righteousness, self-advancement, earned righteousness cannot save anyone. It's the Lord's mission to do, and he's done it. And he's the one that's got the life reserve there in the water trying to save you. 
Now, when I, we lived in Canada, we lived right near the ocean, so I thought it was a good idea for about a week to get a boat. And this was ocean boating, mind you, um, because it was 13 miles from our shoreline to Vancouver Island. So it was, it was a long way, and you were in the open water. And so the goal, the goal of this boating class was to scare you to death. So either you wouldn't do it, or you would know what you're doing when you did it. And so they'd show pictures of you know, boats on fire and everything. But I remember this one film they showed us when there was a storm in the Strait of Georgia, and these Coast Guard cutters had come to rescue a man who had fallen overboard, and the cutters were just slamming against each other. There was no way that that man could have ever saved himself. No way. I mean, the Coast Guard could barely save him. You understand that you cannot be saved any other way but through Jesus Christ. And that's what Christmas is really for. And that's why he came. And all of the dressing around Christmas is a lot of fun. And we can make good on it, but don't lose the meaning of it. Because salvation is available to you right now. And I want you to understand this. The rescuer is ready to save you just for the asking. And so you might be asking yourself, how do I grab hold of that rope anyway? Because it's in the water and I would like to have that rope. It's simply through faith. And and here's the point I want to make is you can be rescued through faith. Faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Faith that You can only be saved through him, but he's already been to the cross to die for your sin. To simply acknowledge the fact that you have sinned and you need forgiveness for sin. And then just saying, Lord, I want you to be in control of my life. And and you will be lifted out of those icy waves to Jesus and you will be safe forever. And if you are a believer, I want to leave you with this encouragement today. The rescuer can give you renewed hope and joy. And listen, hope and joy are a hard commodity to find right now. This thing has gone on and on and on. Everybody's tired. Everybody's on edge. But as a believer, the, the beautiful thing for us is that we can look past this and we can see Christ. And we can see a future that's beyond this. Non-believers can't. This is one of the reasons we have to tell them. But Jesus offers joy in abundance, even during a pandemic. Remember that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. And so I'm as guilty as anybody else, but I don't believe we should just settle for a depressed existence of fear-mongering and cynicism and distrust just because of the circumstances. We are still Christians. We have Christ within us. Jesus came to give you eternal life, so don't try to find that from the world. He wants to rescue you from drowning, but it has to be Jesus. No one else could have done this. So the time is now, and and I want you to understand something. You are loved. You are cared for. You may be isolated. You might be alone this Christmas, You may feel totally out of sorts, and that's absolutely understandable. But don't ever forget that God has his eye on you. God loves you, and God is with you. That's a promise. And that's what we have as believers.
So that's why Jesus came. He came to rescue you. He came to rescue me from sin. And that's what Christmas is all about. So I would love it if you could just take a moment of silence before I close in prayer and just go to the Lord. If maybe, maybe you're not a believer and you need to say, wow, I, I want that. I want to be rescued. Save me, God. And he will show you the way. Or if you're a believer, you might want to go to him and say, yeah, something about that resonated with me. I need to get this right with you. Or I'm in pain, God. Will you please enter into my pain? Whatever it might be, just take a moment. Talk to God about what you just heard. And then I'll close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for this beautiful flock that you've brought together here at Ridgewood Church for this time, for the mission that you've given us, God. And I just pray for each person here. Everybody's experiencing different things, different heartaches, different joys, different fears. And and God, I pray that you would speak to each individual here with your mercy and a reminder that this is why you came. came to save. You came to comfort your children. You came to give us new life. And so, God, I pray that each person here might leave encouraged that you do love them enough to have done this and that the gospel continues on with power each day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.